0: Section 10 of The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion, by Frederick Milnes Edge. CHAPTER Six The Staunton Affair, Part Three. The next epistle is from the pen of a former colleague of Mr. Staunton, a gentleman whose literary articles in the Chess-Player's Chronicle have earned worldwide notoriety. In the case under examination, he dissects Mr. Staunton's procedures with the skill of an able anatomist. Letter from a coadjutor of Mr. Staunton. To the editor of Bell's Life. Sir, In the few remarks that you have appended to the letters respecting Mr. Morphy's proposed match with Mr. Staunton, you have dealt satisfactorily with the whole matter. The letters may be considered under two heads, one of which does not refer to, the other is written upon, the actual subject. That a few lines should be devoted not to the merits of the case will not surprise your readers, when they remember that, prejudice being created against, or in favor of, a particular chess player, questions are not viewed in their true light still less will they be surprised when i take this opportunity of doing justice to anderson who is indirectly alluded to in one of those letters your cambridge correspondent ridicules the notion of any evasion of play on the part of mr staunton his virtue even approaching a fault has been the continual search after a match he resought saint amant after defeating him he exposed himself to every one for eight years and thus earned two characters one that of the chivalrous paladin, the other that of the representative of English chess. I wonder that any intelligent writer, such as your correspondent is, should not have traced the distinctions between resuming play against antagonists already beaten, or likely to be beaten, and commencing matches with really powerful combatants. I wonder, also, that he did not inform your readers that at the time at which saint Amant played with Mr. Staunton, the former, excellent as he was, received odds from Deschapelles, who was out of play. I wonder that, as if, with perfect knowledge, he could write upon such a chess match without alluding to Deschapelles' celebrated criticism on the Staunton-Saint-Amont games, a criticism which, published in the Berliner Schatzzeitung of 1848, puts both players in their true places. I wonder, again, that he should not have summed up Mr. S.'s subsequent victories in two contests, one with Horwitz, the other with Harwitz, I wonder that he should not have told us that Horvitz publicly announced his inferiority to Der Lasse and Hanstein, and that Harvitz, at the time mentioned, received P and two moves, but in the same year defeated Horvitz, the very player upon whose defeat, on even terms, Mr. S.'s reputation mainly depended after his match with Saint-Mont. Another instance of Mr. Staunton's chivalry is, says your correspondent, an offer to play any player in the world and to pay his expenses for coming to England. The best answer to this is to quote the actual conditions of the challenge propounded by Mr. G. Steffen on Mr. S.'s behalf in 1853. One, If the acceptor of the challenge be resident abroad, the stake on each side shall be not less than 250 pounds. 2. If the challenge is taken up by a player resident in this country, the amount of the stake shall be from 100 pounds to 150 pounds. Three that the match be played at a private hotel, etc. After the proposal, Mr. Staunton gave it meaning in a public speech, Chess Players Chronicle, eighteen fifty three. The challenge was intended for Anderson's acceptance. The two hundred and fifty pounds was to cover travelling expenses in a foreign country. Now, I wish to ask your correspondent is there here any offer to pay a competitor's expenses, or will he read it as others do? I name one hundred pounds for a man whom I do not fear, but two hundred and fifty pounds for Anderson, whom, as he beat me in 1851, I wish to play with. Nominally, the larger sum will cover his expenses, but as I intend to win, he will practically have to find two hundred and fifty pounds, his expenses, and the bill at a private hotel, simply to give me, the chivalrous Bayard, my revenge after this i trust that we shall not hear of chivalry in offering to pay the expenses of a competitor m a as a cambridge man may be asked whether mr s s engagement on a work of great magnitude i quote his own words is equal to anderson's mathematical and philological labors but mr s is the representative of english chess by whose election is he divinae particula aure. de chapelle was then irreverent and I am an iconoclast. Is he self-elected? Then away with parliaments and associations of chess, and their self-elected speaker, fair play. I never yet heard of a man calling himself the representative of anything English, if he will not carry out his representation. I have heard of champions of the river retiring. I have seen them row, and take a beating manfully. I know that Lewis, Fraser, Souls, Walker, etc., gave up difficult chess. I never yet heard of half-and-half play. Either a man pretends to represent English chess, or he does not. If he makes his claim, whether self-elected or not, he must play. A representative, however ignorant, gives his vote in the House of Commons. If not, he may retire into private life. Morphy may reply to your correspondent and to his corifaeus at the same time, I have played for ten years, I am not twenty-one, but I am prepared to play the best European masters now. If I am challenged when I have taken up another pursuit, I will not do one thing. I will not accept a challenge, and months after not carry out my acceptance. I will not, after long delay, name even the day for commencing the match, and then have no idea of playing. True it is that you may not fairly represent English chess. Two British players separated Anderson from you in 1851, but, Williams being dead— mr wyville not playing matches and you still claiming priority in anglo-saxon chess i an anglo-saxon on behalf of the race that speaks the same language as you ask you will you maintain or resign your claim this is true reasoning the contest m a assures us would be unequal mr s is p and two moves below his strength yet he represents english play where then are the even players where the P and move men is the fragrance of the P and two moves so refreshing that the p and move must not be classed amongst our British roses, Des Chapelle tells us that Philidor classed Legal as a player on even terms, Verdoni as one to receive pawn for the move, Bernard Carlier, etc. as P and move players. I think better of English chess players than to claim with m a our representative in a p and two moves player your cambridge correspondent will pardon me for attempting to refute his positions from the style of his letter i am convinced that had he equal experience he would write much the same as i have done fair play's letter may soon be dismissed his argument is that mr morphy came to europe not to play mr staunton who had previously refused f p should have added to play in america not in england But to take part in the tournament held by the chess association at birmingham that he did not play there sending different answers for his non-appearance and assuming this to be a fault that therefore any one may commit the same fault if he can give better reasons for the commission in answer to this mr morphy does not come to europe to play at birmingham but to test his strength with the cis-atlantic players it reads almost like a joke when a man writes seriously from Birmingham to inform us that Morphy came six thousand miles to play the first two or three games, especially when everyone in London has known for more than three months that he came to play long set-matches. What was Mr. M.'s behavior? He came to England in June and visited Birmingham directly. He had been offered seventy pounds as a retaining fee on account of the distance traveled by him. Similarly, Anderson, Staunton, etc., received retaining fees in 1857 but refused the offer, making, with characteristic generosity, such excuses as he had not received the Birmingham letters, and that the meeting was adjourned for two months. In other words, Mr. Morphy, giving up all pecuniary claim, practically paid nearly seven-eighths of the prizes offered to public competition. Hence he did not take part in the little contests at Birmingham. He civilly assented to the alteration of time. He civilly left Lowenthal, whom he had beaten in a set match, a chance of gaining the first prize. He civilly gave answers to telegraphic messages, answers—I regret here that they were more polite than exact—that meant the same thing. I leave the contest to others. If these replies did not, as short telegraphic messages cannot, express Mr. M.'s meaning, it does not become those who profited by his chivalry to write in the style of fair play. And I am sure— that the Birmingham local committee would be the first to gainsay the latter statement. He must be satisfied, at all events, as Lowenthal, just beaten by Morphy, met Mr. Staunton, whom he was anxious to see pitted against the young American, and won, thereby saving criticism as to what was, might be, or could be. What will be, we shall see. Mr. M. went to Birmingham, simply to get Mr. S. to name, in the presence of others, a day for commencing the proposed match. Then and there Mr. S. named the 1st of November. A representative of Englishmen should either give a bona fide, acceptance, or a refusal. Murphy's motto is, Play, not talk. He comes and goes to foreign countries to seek play. He is the Il Potino of the New World. At the risk, then, sir, of being called a frivolous noodle by your very elegant correspondent, Fair Play, I shall take the liberty of believing what an honest man like Morphy says. I shall not hold Staunton to be the representative of English chess, but shall look to younger and more consistent players, as far more likely to maintain what your correspondents call the national honor, and am, sir, your obedient servant, an English chess player. East Sheen, October twenty-one, eighteen fifty-eight. The next two letters— also to the editor of Bell's Life in London, do not profess to argue the question, but are merely argumenta ad hominem. They serve to show how warm a feeling in his favour Mr. Morphy has evoked amongst the fellow-countrymen of Mr. Staunton. To the editor of Bell's Life. Mr. Editor. The general opinion of English chess players is simply that Staunton is afraid of Morphy. If, as his friends say, he is out of condition, let him train, or give up the championship like a man, no one would blame him at his age and with his avocation for declining severe matches but in that case he must resign the belt into fresher hands the champion ceases to be the champion when he is no longer able or willing to take up whatever gauntlet is flung down let the chivalrous boy who has crossed the atlantic to challenge the chess of the old world have fair play at the hands of englishmen if we cannot beat him fairly let us not seek to put him off with shabby dodges yours etc ex-president of provincial chess club october twentieth this is sound straightforward english common sense to the editor of bell's life mr editor mr staunton either is or is not the chess champion of england ready to defend his belt against all comers if he be the champion he has no right to plead want of practice literary avocations or such like excuses for semper paratus must be a champion's motto. If he be not the champion, why, then, did he hold himself out as such by inviting or accepting Mr. Morphy's challenge? Why did he not say at the first, I was the champion of England some years ago, but, Solve sin I am not so now. I am only a private gentleman, engaged in literary pursuits, and so forth. His true position would then have been clearly understood." I am sure Mr. Morphy would never have sought to disturb his retirement. But will the English chess-playing public allow Mr. Staunton to put on this plea, after all that has passed, and after all his declarations of willingness to play? I trust, sir, that if such an excuse be allowed, at least we shall have the candour to acknowledge ourselves fairly vanquished, and not pretend that we have escaped defeat because we have prudently declined the contest.' we must be on our guard for the future how we proclaim as our champion a gentleman who retires into private life the moment a formidable rival appears. Yours, etc. Shack. The week following the publication of the above letters, Mr. Staunton published in the Illustrated London News, part of Mr. Morphy's communication, with the private answer sent a fortnight before. The paragraph in the former, relating to mr S's s iniquitous statement of morphy's arriving in europe without funds was entirely ignored and that too in the face of its having been given in extenso two weeks previously by four weekly london papers and a copy sent to his editor-in-chief quos deus volt prodere, prius de mantet, was never more thoroughly exemplified and the course pursued proves incontestably that mr staunton possessed a certain kind of courage which does not stick at trifles. Was it presumable that a man of his experience would dare to commit such an unwarrantable act, or did he think that Mr. Morphy would pass over, in silence, such a suppression? The animus was now evident. Mr. Staunton had never awarded that praise to the young Americans' contests which every other chess editor and player in England and Europe had invariably bestowed. Still, no action could be taken on this. Mr. Staunton had continually postponed the commencement of the match. No handle to take hold of was offered here, since he had as continuously asserted his desire to play. Mr. Staunton had announced that the stakes were reduced from one thousand pounds aside to five hundred pounds at Mr. Morphy's request. His antagonist was still silent. Mr. Staunton had published a knowingly untrue statement, and when the sufferer complains in such a manner as to afford him the utmost latitude for explanation and apology, he cancels the paragraph and does not even deign to refer to it in his reply mr staunton caps the climax by declining finally to play the match thus mr staunton's response to the new orleans chess club so far as he was concerned meant nothing his acceptance of morphy's challenge in london and the statement in his paper that the match would come off meant nothing his postponements meant nothing his declarations before lord littleton and other gentlemen at birmingham meant nothing Thus there was apparently an end to the whole matter. But an eventuality presented itself. Mr. Staunton had showed himself capable of perverting facts to his own benefit, and might he not assert ultimately that Mr. Morphy was the cause of the match not taking place? Could he not, too, at the moment our hero was quitting Europe, declare his readiness to play, knowing that Morphy must be off? He had so acted towards Herr Anderson after the tournament in 1851, declaring that the Germans saw fit to leave although he was well aware that the professor's collegiate duties at Breslau rendered it impossible for him to stay in England and play the proposed match. Paul Morphy, therefore, closed up every avenue of eventual misrepresentation by the following address to Lord Lyttelton in his official quality of President of the National Association of English Chess Players. Morphy's Appeal to the British Chess Association To the Right Honourable Lord Lyttelton, President of the British Chess Association My lord, on the 4th of last February the Chess Club of New Orleans gave a challenge to your countryman, Mr. Howard Staunton, to visit that city and engage in a match at chess with me. On the 3rd of April Mr. Staunton replied to this défi in the Illustrated London News, characterizing the terms of the cartel as being distinguished by extreme courtesy, but objecting to so long a journey for such a purpose, and engaging me to anticipate by a few months an intended voyage to Europe." Believing that a journey of many thousand miles was the only obstacle in the way of our meeting, I made immediate preparation, and, within two months, I had the pleasure of repeating the challenge personally in the rooms of the St. George's Chess Club. I need scarcely assure you, my lord, that Mr. Staunton enjoys a reputation in the United States unsurpassed by that of any player in Europe since the death of Labradonius, and I felt highly honored when he accepted my challenge." merely requesting a lapse of one month for the purpose of preparing himself for the encounter. Within a short period subsequently, Mr. Staunton obtained my consent to a postponement until after the annual meeting of the British Chess Association. A week prior to that event I addressed him in the following terms. "'Dear Sir, as we are now approaching the Birmingham meeting, at the termination of which you have fixed our match to commence, I think it would be advisable to settle the preliminaries during this week.' Would you be good enough to state some early period when your seconds can meet mine so that a contest which i have so much at heart and from which your eminent position excites so much interest in the chess world may be looked upon as a fait accompli i am dear sir yours very respectfully paul morphy not receiving a satisfactory reply to this communication i again wrote mr staunton as follows dear sir i must first apologize for not replying to your previous communication as you observe My numerous contests must be the excuse for my remissness. It is certainly a high compliment to so young a player as myself that you, whose reputation in the chess arena has been unapproached during so many long years, should require any preparation for our match. Immediately on my arrival in England, some two months since, I spoke to you in reference to our contest, and, in accepting the challenge, you stated that you should require some time to prepare, and you proposed a period for commencing, which I accepted." "'I am well aware that your many engagements in the literary world must put you to some inconvenience in meeting me, and I am therefore desirous to consult your wishes in every respect. Would you please state the earliest opportunity when those engagements will permit the match coming off, such time being consistent with your previous preparation? The few weeks referred to in your favor seem to be rather vague, and I shall feel highly gratified by your fixing a definite period for the contest. I leave the terms entirely to yourself.' I remain, dear sir, yours very respectfully, Paul Morphy. Mr. Staunton left London for Birmingham without deigning to reply. I attended the annual meeting of the association for the express purpose of requesting a definite period for commencing the match. In the presence of your lordship and other gentlemen, Mr. Staunton fixed that commencement for the forepart of November, promising that he would inform me of the precise date within a few days. I heard nothing further from him on the subject your lordship will have remembered from the above that mr staunton had thus obtained three separate and distinct postponements the approach of november induced me again to address mr staunton which i did on the sixth of the present month as my letter was published in numerous london journals and was also sent to the editor-in-chief of the illustrated london news i had a right to expect a public answer particularly as i had complained of a false and damaging statement in the chess department of that paper On the sixteenth Mr. Staunton stated editorially that Mr. Morphy's games this week exclude both his letter and Mr. Staunton's reply. If we can spare space for them, they shall be given in the next number. On the ninth instant, within a short time of receiving my letter, Mr. Staunton replied to me privately. As my communication was a public one, I was somewhat surprised at the course pursued by a gentleman holding such a position as Mr. Staunton, and did not therefore even acknowledge receipt, fearing that I might— thereby be induced unintentionally to commit myself. Having promised my letter and his reply, Mr. Staunton published what he represents as such in the illustrated London News of the twenty-third instant. He has thereby transferred the question from the chess arena to the bar of public opinion, and as a stranger in a foreign land, a land which has ever been the foremost in hospitality, I claim justice from Englishmen. The most important portion of my letter Mr. Staunton has dared to suppress— i refer to the following paragraph published by various journals but omitted by the illustrated london news although sent to the editor of that paper as well as to mr staunton himself a statement appeared in the chess department of that journal a few weeks since that mr morphy had come to europe unprovided with backers or seconds the inference being obvious that my want of funds was the reason of our match not taking place as you are the editor of that department of the illustrated london news I felt hurt that a gentleman who had always received me at his club and elsewhere with great kindness and courtesy should allow so prejudicial a statement to be made in reference to me, one too which is not strictly in accordance with fact. On my first arriving in England I informed Mr. Staunton that my stakes would be forthcoming the moment he desired, and I was therefore utterly at a loss to account for so unwarrantable a statement being made in reference to me, unless with the intention of compromising my position before the public and i would ask your lordship's attention to the terms of the suppressed paragraph couched in such language as to avoid all insinuation of animus and affording mr staunton the amplest opportunity for explaining away the difficulty the course pursued by that gentleman cannot do otherwise than justify me in ascribing to him the very worst of motives in publishing what he knew to be incorrect in denying me common justice and in giving as the whole of my letter what he knew to be only a part of it from Mr. Staunton I now appeal to the great body of English chess-players. I appeal to the British Chess Association. I appeal to yourself, my lord, as Messenius of English Chess. And, as I visited your country for the purpose of challenging Mr. Staunton, which challenge he has repeatedly accepted, I now demand of you that you shall declare to the world it is through no fault of mine that this match has not taken place. I have the honour to remain, my lord, yours very respectfully, Paul Morphy. Cafe de la Regence, Paris, October twenty sixth, eighteen fifty eight. End of section ten.